I believe that everybody has a particular skill quality or expertise that makes them good for this business. Before we get into today's episode, I want to offer you a free service and a free gift. Yes, a free gift. You're a loyal best ever listener. You deserve free gifts. And it's from our best ever partner, Secure Pay One, the landlord helper. So are you a landlord or investor who's self-managing? Well, if you're self-managing, is that the best way to scale your business? And are you fulfilled by self-managing or would you rather be doing other stuff with your time? Like, I don't know, scaling your business, scaling your portfolio, making more money, bringing more rentals, rental income coming in because you're acquiring more properties. If you want to scale, if you're not getting fulfilled by self-managing, then here comes the free service. Here comes the free gift. Linda Libatory, you know her, episode 714 I interviewed her about her best ever advice, talked to her about her company, which is the solution to your problem, Secure Pay One, the landlord helper. They handle the phone calls, they handle the rent collections, they handle late payment reminders, they handle the lease violation notices, everything from the text messages, reminders, all the way to collecting the ACH payments. Linda's team will help you scale your business, whether you got 500 units or even a handful of units go to mylandlordhelper.com forward slash joe that's mylandlordhelper.com forward slash joe they're going to give you a free 30 minute goal strategy session they'll give you free setup and the first 30 days free mylandlordhelper.com forward slash joe again if you are self-managing and you're not fulfilled by self-managing and you agree that there's a better way to scale your business, scale your investments, then go to mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Take Linda and her team up on their generous offer of giving you a trial and a strategy session to see if it's right for you. mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluff with us today. Jay Tenenbaum, how you doing, Jay? I'm great. Thank you. Nice to have you on the show. And a little bit about Jay, he is at AZP Capital. His company has now bought 211 assets in about three years. He, prior to this, was a practicing debt collection attorney for 20 years in Southern California. And he's based right now in Gilbert, Arizona. So with that being said, Jay, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. So I career started as a debt collection attorney from 1990 to 2008. I was in law practice with my wife. We closed the practice in 2008. And fortunately, the marriage survived. We're so very happily married almost 27 years now. And from there, I transitioned into buying judgment liens in California and executing on the real property, at which point in time that turned into an opportunity to start buying distressed mortgage notes. And that was August of 2013. So I've said, you know, I've been in debt most of my life, not personally, just in the debt field. It's segue, the transition into notes was just chasing a different debt instrument from debt collection to judgment liens to notes. Mm -hmm. Buying judgment liens and executing on the real property. Can you elaborate on that for anyone who's not familiar with what that means? 
what happens is, is somewhere along the lines that we were buying judgments that were originated from unsecured credit cards. So some other attorney had sued the cardholder on the defaulted credit card. A lien was attached to their real property that they owned. Mm. And most attorneys just let it sit as a dormant, kind of a passive collection effort where the, the credit card holder goes to refinance or sell the property, mm-hmm. then the judgment lien has to be paid off. Yep. What we did is there is a provision in California. It's, most states have this have a similar procedure where you can ask the court to sell the property. Not a foreclosure per se, but a remedy that's more formal, more involuntary than just waiting for the passive opportunity. You made a lot of friends doing that, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> no, you're, I, I, I did and I did it. We didn't sell a whole lot of properties because we just got, got a lot of payoffs. We weren't looking to take anybody's house. We were just looking to get paid off. And in that time, especially with some of the older borrowers, I turned them on to some lending sources, including reverse mortgages, and got their lien paid off. Really, my style has always been one of treating a borrower, a credit card holder, et cetera, with dignity and respect. And I did that in my debt collection space. I did that in the judgment lien space. I do that with my borrowers down in the mortgage space. So then you transitioned from that to buying distressed mortgage notes in August 2013. Can you give a summary of that business model? Sure. You're buying uh, defaulted mortgage notes from banks and hedge funds in one-offs, you know, one at a time or, or in pools. Our business model is we're buying notes that the borrower still lives in the property. We are then working really hard to keep the borrower in the home and work out a loan mod. As a private investor, we don't have the bureaucracy, the red tape to approve a loan mod or nearly require the extensive amount of mountains of paperwork to apply. And you make money in which ways? Because I know there's a variety of ways. You make money indeed in a variety of ways. You're buying the assets at 30, 40 cents on the dollar. You are then earning the, the, the cash flow right away when you're doing a loan mod with a borrower. Thereafter, after the payments are seasoned a little bit, either able to resell the performing loan to another investor who likes performing loans or you can encourage the borrower to refinance the property and pay you off. Mm. And that's just one exit strategy. There's a variety of exit strategies in the note business, but that's just one with regards to a borrower that's in an occupied property who's committed to working out a solution. What are a couple others? And then we'll transition to what you're doing now. Sure. Others are, I've approached borrowers and said, okay, so you, I bought the loan, let's say for $20,000 and you owe 80. I'll accept a short payoff property value is probably worth 50. You can get, FHA's got a program where you can get refinanced out at 97% of the value. So why even though those properties underwater, i would gotten a check for $50,000 on a $20,000 investment. Mm-hmm. Um, taking a haircut on what I call monopoly money because the unpaid balance is higher than the value. It's just monopoly money anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, borrower who just says, look, I can't afford the property anymore will give you a deed in lieu of foreclosure. That way, then you're now you've got a REO to dispose of, fix and flip it, or wholesale it, or even we do a lot of seller financing in the REO side of, of our portfolio. Invariably, you may have to foreclose if the borrower doesn't want to cooperate. That's the unfortunate reality. That's just to name a few. I mean, there- yeah, that's good. Yeah, thank you for that. Now let's talk about what you're doing. How are you making money right now? Well, we make money. Like I said, bought 211 assets. We still manage probably around 100 and. 
20, of which about over a third of that portfolio is performing. Meaning we're getting- oh, okay. I'm sorry. So you're buying distressed mortgage notes still. I thought you transitioned out of that and transitioned to something else. So this is what you're doing right now. Exactly. Cool. So you've, you've bought 211 assets. Were they distressed at the time, most of them? Yes. Okay. How do you know which distressed asset to buy and which one to stay away from? Good question. It's all about your due diligence. You will get a spreadsheet from a bank or hedge fund that could have 15 assets on it. It could have 100 assets on it. And what we do is we just initially make the general filters, meaning we want to buy occupied. That's kind of our primary criteria Mm -hmm. because of our core business model. We want to buy single-family residence, one to four units. We, typically, we stay away from condos, mobile homes, land, things like that. We want to be in our favorite target markets, which is typically the Midwest and the South, Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, Alabama, the Carolinas. Why those areas? Good question. We've bought in 24 different states because as we buy occupied assets and get cash from anyone, it really didn't matter what state the money, the green back is coming from. But to really do this well, you got to build your teams around five or six target markets. The Midwest and the South are the areas where primarily you see a lot of inventory on a regular basis. You get your better values. Like I said, I'm buying assets at 30, 40 cents on the dollar. California, for example, you'd be buying assets at 80, 90 cents on the dollar. Mm-hmm. Florida's okay. It's still some value in Florida somewhere, but mostly your what we call non-judicial states where you could, the foreclosures are faster, the prices are higher. So you've got to foreclose in those states that I mentioned. You're doing it by a traditional closure lawsuit, which may take up to a year in certain instances, but you're getting good value. Plus, we work really hard with the borrowers to keep them in our homes, so we're still foreclosing on less than a third of our portfolio. Okay. Occupied, single-family, one-to-four units, south and midwest. What else to determine if it's a distressed note that you want to buy versus a distressed note that you don't? Again, you're looking at, if you're really starting to get granular into, into that, you're looking at values of the properties. We've cut our teeth on what we call the lower value stuff where the houses are around 50 grand, but you don't really want to buy. You could pick up a $20,000 house for probably five grand or less. We've done well with that stuff, but that's where you're getting into kind of a riskier endeavor. Why is it riskier? Um, because if you've got to foreclose, you're going to spend the same insurance. You're going to spend the same foreclosure fees. You're going to spend the same servicing on a $20,000 house as you are a $50,000 house or a $150,000 house. And if you take it back, how much can you rehab a $20,000 house? Now, right. we've gotten around that when we've missed a little bit here or there with our seller finance platform. That way, we will either sell a property to a buyer as a handyman special or put a little bit of rehab in it. We call it a haircut and a shave and put an buyer in there or you can't otherwise qualify for a loan. We also sell our finance to investors who are looking to fix and flip or keep them in their buy and hold rental portfolio. You look at the values of properties. So what is your sweet spot if it's not the 50000 or less? Oh, our sweet spot's probably the fifty to the hundred thousand dollar houses. Above fifty, you're getting into what we call more of the higher value class. A little more competition, a little more pricier, just because of the values. But you've got a little bit of bigger margins there. My son will characterize that when you're buying in the lower value space, you are getting three quarters of a grape, and if you're buying in the higher value space, you're getting into 
three recoveries of one quarter of a watermelon. I can buy an $50,000 house in Michigan for $10,000 and get a $400 mod payment. So those investors who are enamored with the numerical percentage returns, you do very well on the lower value side. On the higher value side, you are buying that $7,500,000 house for probably, let's say $100,000 house for maybe close to $65,000, but you're probably getting a $1,000 month mod payment as well. The numerical returns are probably high teens, low 20s, but you're getting more cash in your pocket every month. Why isn't the sweet spot 100000 to 250000 It can be, but you're raising private capital. The question becomes to earn a good return, to put good money back in your pocket. It's all a matter of just how much capital you need to deploy. When you're buying a $100,000 house at $0.65 cents on the dollar, that's $65,000. I can buy a ton of those. We buy about a quarter million dollars worth of assets a month. We at least target to spend about a quarter million dollars a month. We don't always hit that number. We start out with putting bids about that amount, but when things drop out in diligence, we may not end up spending that much. Mm-hmm. So the question is, okay, so if I'm going to buy a $250,000 house, I'm spending close to $160,000 to do that. I loved your old school calculator noise, by the way. I, thank you. <laughs> $160,000 house, I, I could get two, three properties for the same $160,000. Mm-hmm. Little diversity of risk as well. Anything else as it relates to how to determine which distressed asset to buy and stay away from that you think we should mention? Since we don't own the asset itself, if we own the paper, we don't own the property. That's a mm-hmm. distinction that troubles fix and flip investors all the time. And what I'm about to get into is the condition. And fix and flip investors are like, what about the condition of the property? Well, unless the property is vacant, you can't get inside the property because you don't own the property itself. Right. So with buying occupied, again, it's more suited to our core business model. But in addition, being occupied is lesser of a risk that the property mm-hmm. is beat up inside, number one. That's key as far as condition. Number two, we do a variety of property preservation people to go out and do occupancy checks. We use our local realtors to drive by evaluations and a combination of both. So we have an idea what the outside looks like with the kind of the presumption, kind of like blackjack where a dealer shows a, a seven as the up card. So you assume there's a 10 there. So you're assuming that a borrower who lives there, the house isn't beat up too bad on the inside. Mm-hmm. Other than that, from the outside, you see tarps on roofs or you just got war zone neighborhoods. Too many delinquent property taxes are too high to where what the seller wants for purchase and the value of the, and the amount of the taxes just may not be a good numerical play. Your values are key. If you can't agree on value with any seller, but you got to know that what you're going to get for it and what you believe your values are, are such that you can still make money. And that's where you sharpen your pencil and you make sure that your ROI calculators are, are precise. Other than that, if there's any in your diligence, if there's any, any defects in the chain of title or loans delinquent for too long, things like that. And that's kind of the priority checklist as far as what we look at and how we determine what makes the cut or not. A lot of stuff drops out because we only want to pay X for a property because we believe the value to be X and the seller says, no, no, I want this for it. And we know Mm -hmm. at that price, we could make money. I'm glad you mentioned loans delinquent for too long because that brings up the question, how long is too long ago for it to be delinquent? It all depends on the particular state and their statute limitations, but typically we won't buy stuff that's delinquent more than now that we're in 2017, probably 2013, 14-ish. Mm-hmm. Four to five years. Yeah. 
that's probably right on the cusp of where we want to be see the delinquency. You don't want to buy anything that's not delinquent too much because the borrower just really hasn't figured out what they're going to do yet. If it's delinquent for too long, you're probably looking either at a foreclosure because you just, they just throw in the towel, they're just living there for free, and you don't want to get into some statute of limitations issues that could preclude your ability to take back the property. I want to switch gears. Do you have interactions with the investors who are investing in these assets? Absolutely, all the okay. time. Good. We are capital joint venture partners. I think the misnomer is, at least for us, our mission is uh, typically when you say you're going to joint venture with someone, you're like, okay, it's a passive opportunity. And if an investor wants a passive opportunity, that's fine. But a lot of our investors are coming from places where they've had a little bit of education. I speak nationally, any place, anytime, anywhere I can. So usually it's an educational type forum that I'm speaking at. So the attendees want to just learn as well as invest. And so we provide that. I'm all about repetition, learning by doing by repetition. So our investors, they can be hands-on what we do. Typically, we start out as what we characterize as the 10th hole of a golf course. When we start out together, we've already selected the assets. We've already done the diligence. We're looking for you to, to fund them. And then we teach you from now that I acquired my first asset, what do we do from here? The second rodeo, we'll be bringing it on the diligence side. It's just too many moving parts to teach you all at once. Describe your current investor, who they are, what's their experience, how old are they, male, female, just to give an idea of your current investor. Because I ask, because this has to be a different profile of an investor who's investing in distressed assets. And my guess is they're more sophisticated than typical investors. But I want to hear if that's correct or not. It's partially correct. I think my investor base, the note investing world is still probably a male-dominated world, although there are plenty of women involved. Two of my business partners are women, and the fourth business partner is my son. And women have a, a, an advantage as far as calling banks and hedge funds to get someone on the phone. A bank asset manager will return a phone call for a woman more than they will in a man. My investor base is probably maybe still two-thirds, one-third male, female. And I say that in terms of a lot of husband and wife teams as well, though, so, so that would be 50-50 there. Sophisticated investors, yes and no. Again, I find most of them through whatever educational platform I'm speaking at. So they had a desire to learn this business somehow, some way, some why first. All I'm doing is filling the need to allow them to get in the business shorten up the learning curve, getting this business sufficiently. When we were buying more of the lower value assets, an investment of say $50,000 would buy say three or four lower value assets. And we've done quite well for many of our investors in that space. As we've kind of, I wouldn't say we've shifted. We've bought REOs in that asset class, maybe in REOs in some, in some higher asset class from a particular source. And we started buying some higher value stuff. I like all three asset classes. As we grew, institutional money started coming to us and said, we want to throw money at you to buy this or that. We love what you do. We see your track record. We're scared to death of the lower value stuff that you're doing. So we want some higher value stuff. So to buy into the higher value class, you're probably looking at an investment in capital of 75 to 200,000 gets you more of, say, one asset versus the diversity of risk, but a higher cushion of minimized risk, mm-hmm. even though you're investing in one asset. So that's kind of where we're at right now. Based on your experience in the debt space, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? That's interesting. My debt collection background is, to me, my specific skill, quality, expertise that I bring into this space. 
I believe that everybody has a particular skill, quality, or expertise that makes them good for this business. Debt collection just happens to be mine. My son's the one that does the acquisitions. I'm not wired to sit in front of a computer and break down a tape. Others that are listening to this podcast are more suited to that, and that's your special skills, quality, or expertise. A lot of what we do, a lot of what I've learned in this business almost the last four years can be taught, can be learned, except I don't really believe that debt collection moniker is usually you don't try this at home. If I taught you what I know and learned in 20 years, your head would explode. Mm -hmm. It's really something that should be left to a professional just because of the liability and the regulations. Same when you're getting into seller financing and things like that. They're better left to the professionals just because of the rules and regulations that we have to deal with. I don't do as much of the borrower outreach as I used to. I use a third-party credit counselor to do most of my outreach. I take a different approach than the debt collectors coming to the borrower saying, you want to be your advocate, let me help you talk to the lender. Funny story, I started using this particular company because when I first bought my first 65 notes was from a hedge fund that I became closer related to than just a buyer-seller relationship. And in that regard, I asked him one day, what was your best borrower outreach in all the time that you managed your hedge fund? And he said it was credit counseling. And they had brought it in-house out of necessity. And basically, they took their debt collector, loss mitigator guys, asset managers, and just got them certified in debt collection. So they're on my same page as to what I want, Mm -hmm. and they do a phenomenal job. Mm, Great stuff. We're going deep in debt collection and just distressed assets, and I'm enjoying it because it's not an area that we usually go deep in. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Are you an investor who self-manages, talks to your residents, collects checks, and handles all the day-to-day tasks? Well, there's a better way, best ever listener, and guess what? That better way is Secure Pay One. Secure Pay One, the landlord helper, will have conversations over the phone with your residents whenever there's an issue, and the residents can pay you directly. So schedule your free trial and 30 minute session today at mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. That's mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation podcast at com. What's the best ever book you've read? Life in Air. Life in Air? Yes. A-I-R? It's like Billionaire with a life in front of it. Oh, got it. Ah, I see what you just did. Best ever deal you've done? There's so many. Each one is so unique and special. Best ever deal I've done. Most recent, I bought an asset in Chicago for $60,000. The borrower, unfortunately, set fire to the second floor. Um, We insured it for $100,000, got a check for $100,000, and then short-sailed it to an investor friend of her son's for another twelve. (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> it's one of my most recent deals I mean you know, short term memory here uh, yeah 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 <laughs> a lot of the deals rank as best just because of the connection and the solution and the help and the assistance mm-hmm. that, that we provided the borrower what's a mistake you've made on a particular deal overpaying for the asset the information that we had in our diligence turned out to be accurate the vendor that we used turned out to be not somebody that we could rely on the information best ever way you like to give back to work with my joint venture partners to teach them this business 
And I'm just remembering, you mentioned the word tape earlier. That is a spreadsheet that has a bunch of properties or distressed notes that you get to choose to purchase or not purchase. And what is the best place the best ever listeners can get in touch with you? Cell phone is 714-458-6317. Email is jay at A-Z-P capital. That's Adam Zebra Paul capital. Dot com, or visit our website at www.azpcapital.com as well. Excellent. Well, Jay, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for just being very clear with how to determine which distressed note to buy and which one to pass on and how you approach that. So one, is it occupied? Because that's less of a risk that the property is beat up, among other things. Two, single family resident, one to four units. Three, Midwest and South, you get better values. For the value of the property, 50 to 100K is a sweet spot. You talked about why. And then miscellaneous things like occupancy checks, doing drive-bys, chain of title, make sure that's clear, and that it hasn't been delinquent for too long. And depends on the state, but usually four to five years or longer is too long. Plus all the other wonderful things we talked about. Hope you have a best ever day. Thanks so much for being on the show, and we'll talk to you soon. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation Podcast, where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation Podcast at the REI Foundation dot com.